I am on a mission, rather a path to discovering the connections of the mind, body, and spirit as it's connected to social justice work. Particularly, I am interested in the spiritual aspect of social justice work. Each episode, I will talk with scholars in various fields who are committed to social change and social justice to learn more about how they see spirituality connected to the commitment of justice and change. This is 824. Well, uh, Nikki Scott, I am so excited to talk with you, and I'm glad that you were willing to join me on 824 and that we'll get a bit of time to talk through um, your work in the health and wellness profession as it connects to social justice. And I'm really, really excited to hear more about uh, Yoga Noir Project and some new things that you're up to and um, that you'll get a chance to tell people about all this fun, wonderful, exciting, social change, social justice, equitable work that you're doing out in Baton Rouge. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your work. Tell us a bit about um, Nikki Scott, Inc., what you do with health and wellness. Uh, Tell us a bit about the Yoga Noir Project. Just in life. I'll, I'll start from sort of the beginning. So I um, am a registered nurse. And so um, my practice often, especially working in med surge nursing, um, I saw a lot of patients that were um, had diseases that are avoidable most times, um, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, renal failure, those types of things. Um, and then at around the same time, I started practicing yoga more often. And so I was seeing that I was normally the only black person in any of the classes. And I was trying to figure out why we had something that was so beneficial to our wellness, but we weren't using it. I was, you know, confused about that and started looking more into it. And so um, around that time, I decided to start planning yoga classes for black people. Um, So Nikki Scott Inc. is a community service project development firm. Basically, we we create community service projects that are feasible and, and sustainable um, for the minority population um, to kind of address where we have those gaps that you you know we, we see what with accessibility to wellness um, um, looking at how wellness is portrayed in media, as being for a certain audience, um, you know, so trying to work on those types of things. And um, one of our first projects, obviously, was the Yoga Noir Project. So the Yoga Noir Project was created to create space for women of color to practice yoga in a safe space initially. And then, as you know, it evolved into uh, people of color um, because men, we find, and children also can use and benefit from yoga and meditation. So that's kind of where we're at now as far as how it got created and all of that. And Awesome. And how's it doing? Like, I know you have an advocate <laughs> for mental health and holistic nursing. And so I'm curious as to how Yoga Noir sort of fits into your passion for those two things. Okay. So, um, well, how is it doing? I'll say, first of all, it's, it's grown immensely. I don't, 
I don't know if I expected it to grow as much as it has. We've um, touched, and I wish I had have done some, you know, in hindsight, you know, as data-driven people, you're like, man, I should have probably captured all of that data. Yeah. <laughs> but so I don't have a good number on how many women I've touched. I know it's been over 500. Um, and the 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 basis of a lot of what I was seeing um, in, in just in the Black women population, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, um, and it not being addressed the way it needed to be addressed because the wellness or the access to um, mental health care for us is not um, as accessible as it is for white people. I'm just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of <laughs> trying to find a counselor or um, a social worker or anybody that is going to be able to address your mental health um, that is black is hard to find. Yeah. Um, or people that are, can relate to where you're at, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're, we're out here trying to figure out how to best manage all of these problems that we have um, and don't have the resources to do so. So one of the things I thought would be helpful is to offer yoga as a resource. And um, my background also with case management, I'm able to help women then if they have further questions um, about how to find resources, I'm able to connect them with a counselor. Um, I don't do referrals, but um, I do have, you know, a list of people that are in the community that are black, that um, are, you know, able to either take sliding scale if they don't, you know, take their insurance or whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm able to kind of bridge that also um, within my work, which I think makes it a little bit more unique. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing um, what your take on this is, because there are a lot more intentional spaces for people of color or, or even just Black folks to be able to practice yoga with the mm-hmm. intention and the mindset behind it that if we are um, not practicing with, with folks who do not look like us, that there is a better sense of, of connection. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw, I'm, I'm sure you did, there was a NBC like news report about like black men practicing yoga and, and some of the quotes mm-hmm. they were, that they had captured in the article had to do with, you know, people saying like, well, when they show up at these studios that are predominated by white bodies, that there's a sense of like, they don't belong there, that they feel like people look at them and, and think like, why are you here? Or they, they see that people move their mats away from them or that they feel as if someone is seeing them as threatening. And while I, I do some like community sort of pop-ups, I guess at a, at a, gallery here in Lafayette and uh, it's through an organization called the Black Element and it was intended for um, again a space for Black folks in Lafayette to be able to come and practice yoga but there's been this thing that I've been spinning on when it comes to understanding what the intention of yoga is um, particularly as we think through the three pieces of mind body spirit and Mm -hmm. intentionally um forcing away spaces that are for folks of color or for white people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. 
so so some of the the things that I that I've been thinking about with this is if we are creating these spaces that are black only spaces in some ways it reinforces ideas of attachment right and part of the practice through yoga is to strive towards non-attachment and death of the self. And yes. so if spaces are created that feed into the discomfort storyline, then isn't that just reinforcing the idea of attachment? So tell me. I'm so glad you said this. So <laughs> let me tell you why initially. So my thought was I was offering initially, I was offering beginner yoga classes. I'm introducing you to yoga, right? Mm-hmm. My thought was I'll introduce you to yoga. You'll see that it's beneficial and you'll go and you will join these studios. And in my mind, I saw us infiltrating these spaces that were already there, mm-hmm. that were all white and us just going and integrating. This, this was my thought initially. And so, um, and it still is, it, that hasn't gone away. Um, it's just that it turned out to be a much slower process than I thought it would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, when, whenever I, you know, start offering the classes and then they would say, well, aren't you going to teach more classes? And I'm like, well, no, um, <laughs> you're supposed to go join, you know, down the gym now. They're like, well, I can't afford that. Well, um, I don't feel welcome there. Or I'm just like, goodness, what, where? I did not realize, I think initially when I started, that it was going to be that much work to break down those barriers. Mm-hmm. I, I thought in my, in my rose-colored, you know, glasses that everything was just going to be fine. They were going to go and they're going to be like, I love yoga. I'm just going to go do it over here, you know, at the YMCA and I'll be fine. Um, and that's not, that's not what happened. What has happened, though, is that I've been now um, that I've done the work to create these spaces that are that where women of color or black people in general just feel comfortable to come that I've that I've caught the tent the attention of um, predominantly white spaces that are like I need you to come here to help with diversity Mm -hmm. and so now uh, some of my classes that are community classes are more diverse which is great so you know now they you come to the class and you will see men, you'll see women, you'll see white people and black people and people of other nationalities as well in the space together. And we, we talk about that, you know, it's like everyone here obviously is welcome and losing that sense of self and that sense of attachment and all that stuff should fall away. But I'm finding that I think too, because we're in the South, because it's not like that in other too many other places that I've like in California, I thought, I think one of the classes I went to out there was very, diverse and I don't, I didn't see any you know at that particular studio it was fine um but I think being in the south and we being so we're being so ingrained in um segregation here um has had a really really long lasting impact um here and so having that um I guess the the work that we have to do to break down that barrier is a lot more extensive than I guess I initially thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so as you say that, it makes me think, so going back to, you know, thinking about black women and depression, right. And so, Mm -hmm. and, and just mental health in general and understanding that in a lot of ways, right. These feelings of racial inequity, um, 
whether some of those mm -hmm. are tangible and we can see them and we can touch them when we're feeling them or they've been sitting in our being for so long um, and things are creeping up as like unconscious trauma because it's stored away in the body. And that mm -hmm. um, I think there is a lack of recognition as to how race and racism informs and impacts mental health, particularly in my mind for black women, because not only are we, you know, sitting at the intersections of race and gender, but in a lot of ways, right? Like we are, we birth these children. And so follow my craziness here. We birth these children <laughs> and who could, you know, be black boys who grow up to be black men. And we are carrying around this like, this hardened heart about like what's going to happen to these babies that we mm -hmm. in life. Um, and so while we might not be consciously thinking about it, it's there, right? Like it is, it is tucked away in our souls of like, I've got to keep this family. I've got to protect like these beings that come out of my soul, out of my womb. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with our mental health at times too, even if we are not consciously thinking about it. Um, yeah, I, no, I agree. I don't feel like there's craziness at all. I think too, it's not just, it's not about just about obviously yoga and even to your point, you know, even just parenting, but even just in our careers, like how many times, you know, have you heard women, um, black women say, well, I work, you know, where I go, where I work, you know, someone has to, um, ask me why I change my hair so much. And, you know, like it's always something we have to be cognizant of. We don't want to have to be cognizant of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I decide, like, literally I have my hair up in lock petals right now, um, because I had an event last night and I, and I pulled my hair up, um, for, you know, and I was going to wear it like this. Cause you know, I, I paid for this hairstyle. Right. I know when I go to work tomorrow, they're going to ask me that I cut my hair. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to talk about it. And already subconsciously, I'm like, I have to go to work to talk about my hair. That's just one of those things like that we just carry around with us. The like for like the preparation yeah. for having to answer questions. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, I, I don't know what that does. I would love to know from like um a psych you know, psychological standpoint what that does to us um and to our health, um, to have to always be on guard like that. Um, even for the smallest, you know, of things. Yeah, because it's exhausting. Um, it is. And we shouldn't have to carry that around. And, and it's not that, you know, we just want to carry it around. And I think to, um, to go back to talking about how, you know, when you go into a yoga studio and you're feeling like maybe they didn't want it, like I saw them do an assist on everyone else and they didn't touch me. Um, or that they moved their mat or they intentionally didn't place their mat. But I, all of that, is um some of that might be our perception and not necessarily what it is maybe you didn't need the adjustment because you were doing it properly maybe they wanted to sit by their friend um maybe it wasn't because of your blackness but because we already have that ingrained in us um that's kind of where we go exactly immediately yeah um because the microaggressions right like are real and as often as oftentimes as people attempt to explain them away and when I say people mm -hmm. folks typically try to explain away microaggressions as like no that's not what's happening um, but when you are the receiver of said microaggression 
and you're constantly experiencing these, um, it does begin to shape your lens, right? Like, and it does impact the way in which you view the world and the way in which you view yourself in it. Um, yeah. And we, and the thing about yoga and for, for me at least was I began practicing with the intention of trying to move myself through all of the sort of walls and hardness that I had created for myself. And some of those walls and hardness didn't necessarily have to do with race, they, things around like family structure and relationships and all sorts of other things that I found when I came to my mat, I was able to sort of move through those and work through those and dis- and be in discovery of of the things that are tucked away in my body, right? And that I can begin to think about how it has impacted my spirit in some way, or even how it is for my my logical mind, my thinking mind, not the mind that exists in my heart. And so um, I'm, I'm curious what, how your yoga practice has informed the way you think about yourself in this life. Whew. Well, that's deep <laughs> and wide. <laughs> um, so I will say that um, I've adopted the practice of taking nothing personal as my um, way of detaching, right, Um, from the physical so much. And I've also um, began to work on approaching everything with love um, is one of the ways that I feel that yoga has impacted me. Um, Besides some of the super... I hate to say cliche or obvious things, just the being able to control your breath and coming back to that, um, the horrible anxiety that I used to have, I don't have so much anymore. Um, Even when I feel myself getting anxious, I can control it a little better um, now because I have, you know, so often practiced breathing and just noticing the um, dropping your shoulders and unclenching your jaw and the, the smallest micro movements that we do. Um, and how that just changes your entire perspective of what's going on in that moment, practicing being present. Um, But even deeper than that, going back to not taking anything personal, being less judgmental, um, staying on my mat, right? I don't pay attention to what's going on in the next mat. I'm here and I'm on my mat and just taking that whole entire concept into life. Right. Like you're it's not personal, whatever you're feeling over here on your mat really doesn't have a whole lot to do. Does it intermingle? Yes. But is it because of what's going on on my mat? No. Right. And so I have to kind of um, I take that whole concept with me and then approaching everything with love, especially with um, my newest um, venture of doing yoga with um, young people that are facing expulsion from school. Mm-hmm. Um, who that was just a heavy thing to take on. Um, but it's been so rewarding and just seeing them where they're at and seeing that they're trying to move forward and realizing that they're a product of where they've come from, but knowing that they don't have to be stay there. Um, and just approaching all of that hostility that they meet me with sometimes with love and seeing how it changes people has I have no idea how to put into words how that's changed me. Um, 
it's it's just been really a, an amazing experience just to to see. And we always say that, you know, and you hear the song and it's always need is love and all of that. But I mean, there's so much truth in that. <laughs> there's so much truth in that. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, well, love is like all hugs and smiles. But love doesn't always look that way. Oh. You know, it doesn't always look like love and smiles. Sometimes it's, you know what, you're going to pull your pants up or you're going to leave. You know, it's just some of it, you know, it's just what it is. But, you know, all of it is in the betterment for the betterment of the next person and to leave things better than how you found them. Um, and it's just been, so you I, know, yes. amazing. I, and, and people look at me when I say this, but love is exhausting, right? Like, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> get love, like that radical love that will transform the hell out of you is exhausting, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it requires mm-hmm. all of your being to be uh, present with whoever it is that you are giving love to, but it also requires, like, legitimate action because it's not just the the hugs and the kisses and the affection and all of this, like, frou-frou nonsense, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of, of intentionality of trying to move both you and somebody else towards higher levels right like towards a new plane of understanding sort of community and interconnectedness and um uh, you know just understanding purpose and and understanding that there's something else in this life that is bigger than you like love requires um I don't know what love requires but love requires more than just sort of the frou-frou sort of yeah Hollywood framing of what love is like love is intended to be radical it's intended to uh move us to what we even understand as divine love right like which gets us into an understanding of spirituality but that like love is what is love Nikki I would you know (laughs) what I thought love was up until you know extremely recently you know you go and you give your friend a hug you know and you're like I love you that that surface type thing and then you know that that connection with the um the energy like no I love this person I want to spend my life with them love and then there's and then there's this other thing that happens with um just and I can genuinely say that I love all of these strangers that I'm um meeting um in yoga classes and do like you it's like it's not like I'm in love with you right yeah I love you and I want you to move forward in life I love you and I want you to heal I love you and I want you to do better I love you I want you to be healthy I want you to be well I want you to be um mentally intact I I want these things for you because I love you and I want you to be and it's like but then the action that you have to take like you're saying behind how do you, you know, the, the love that you have sometimes isn't what people would say is love. You know, it's not like, it doesn't look that way. Sometimes it's, yeah. I love you. So I have to, I have to report you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and it doesn't look like, you know, like, what do you mean? You know, you love this person, but you got them in trouble. It's like, yes. You know? Right. And and so then you get to take that whole the, that home with you, like that that guilt, the feeling of have I done everything that I was supposed to do correctly? Have I put somebody else's life, you know, did I cause any harm to anyone else? And the whole I don't want to do harm thing, you know, there's that, right? And so um 
it does carry all of that extra emotional attachment with it. And you're right. It's hard to love people when the way, like when you truly genuinely love people, it is really extremely hard on you and it can be draining. And then, you know, you have that whole, like, how do I put all that? How do I pour back into myself? Mm-hmm. And love, as you were talking about, like the do no harm thing, love also becomes a practice of nonviolence, right? And that we understand that non isn't just like, you know, what, what I do or my actions towards somebody else, but also sort of what is happening in my own mind, right? Like what is mm-hmm. happening within me that allows for there to not be the action of violence that happens outside of me, right? And so I think when we start talking about love, like it's also understanding the means of non-violence that we are using uh, even our words that we speak with ourself, um, mm be compassionate and embracing and loving, but then also the words we speak about other people in our minds so that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in our energy sort of pouring that out into the world. And so I think part of, partially when we start thinking about love and the aspect of love within the framing of spirituality is that we start thinking about how are we using our words internally that allow for us to do the sort of transformative work outside of ourselves that we wish to see. It's funny you should say that because I've started doing this thing where I kind of interpret what people are saying to me, Mm. right? Because sometimes we say things or you hear people saying things to you. And if you take it for what it is on the surface, then your feelings will get hurt. And remember, I'm back to, okay, take nothing personal, right? So as soon as I feel that feeling, like, wait a minute, I feel like I'm being attacked. I'm like, let me, let me hear them right? Let me truly listen to what it is they're saying. Um, and a lot of times, if I can, if I can do that, then you automatically or automatically transform that, that thing that in our mind, you know, that goes to, I don't like them. They're this, they're that, that thing that starts, you know, turning into the internal gossip thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that goes away immediately. I hear, I hear them and they're hurting. I hear them and they may be a little jealous, right? I hear them and, and all of that stuff turns into feelings of then compassion for them, even if they're saying something ugly about me. It so, returns to them as compassion. It's the, it's the most, it's just the, it's, I hate to say crazy because I don't like that word, but. No, so I don't you know, I think it's, I think this is, this is, these are the conversations that I think we need to be having when we're talking about, you know, how are we doing the social justice work or the social change work, right? That we are not always on the defense, but that we actually become better listeners to actually hear the suffering that exists from somebody else. Um, Because that is the thing as humans that we know, right? Like we know love and we know suffering. And in a lot of ways, we know our suffering more than we know love. Um, But it's the thing that connects us, right? And so if we can begin to have better conversations about suffering, that lead us to better understandings about compassion and how to practice that, then maybe Mm -hmm. we can start to see a shift in our society. I don't know. I will tell you this, apparently, (laughs) based on the work I've been doing, it's nothing that's gonna happen overnight. And so one of the things that a social justice work does take in is a lot of um, patience and resilience. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir right now, but um, it is definitely 
a work of resilience to be able to get up every single day and say, I'm going to continue this work because it's important and it needs to happen. Um, and I mean, I'm guessing I'm asking, like, do you, I, you also find that it's challenging to keep moving forward? Yeah, I do. Right. And when I, and, and I don't always have a good means of attending to myself when I find that it's hard to move forward. And, um, some of the things and particularly with my own teaching, right. And so assistant professor at a university and, and I teach diversity ed, social justice education to pre-service teachers. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language, but they say some shit sometimes during class, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That lands with me and sits in my heart and sits way down deep in my belly. That the next day, attempting to go to class, I'm like, I don't want to do this, right? Because I don't want to continue to take these, like, mini punches to the gut. Like, these assaults that I'm walking into, right? And many of my colleagues don't really understand what that is for me. But at the same time, it's like, I'm teaching this work in the deep south and teaching it to mostly most of my classes happen to be 90 percent white women right and so here i am black woman from queens trying to do this work trying to move them move the needle for them help them to sort of start to consider all of the ways in which you know some of the framing that they've had throughout their lives is limiting not just to themselves but to other people and the thing that is hardest for them to grasp is the understandings of race. And part of that is because as white people, they don't recognize that they have race. And so they don't recognize the ways in which um, even racism is, is hurtful to them, right? Like as right. not unpacking the systemic ways it has informed their own lives. Um, but it's difficult because they say things and in some ways, some of it's like they don't even, I don't even think they recognize the things that they say, but in other ways, like, I think they are fully conscious of what it is that is happening, right? And so right. I'll tell this story, and um, I didn't know <laughs> when I read it whether to laugh or to cry, so I did both. But um, a student wrote a final paper about slavery being the same thing as in-school bullying, Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, when I read it, I was just like, what? Oh, my gosh. Right. Like, and again, didn't know whether I should laugh or cry. And so I did both. Um, yes. It, but like those things were like, then you start to feel that sort of ancestral trauma of like, of, of things related to separation of families and mm-hmm. rape, the mm-hmm. lashes. Things where it's like that is not comparable to what happens at all in school, right? Like oh that's, that's in school, and so um, when it's things like that, like I have to be real mindful of how am I responding to myself right now, so that I can keep going. Because um, there have been times where, like, just before class starts, my heart starts racing, and I'm mm. like my heart is racing. This anxiety thing is starting to build up because I know what I'm about to walk into. And so meditation has become a big help to that, right? Where I can actually learn to feel the sensations in my body and be responsive to what is happening. Yeah, that is really extremely important. And being able to find that space with, I'm hoping you have an office 
So like you have that space to like shut your door and like recenter. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I find that I have to do that as well. And I also work at a predominantly white, um, institution at university. Um, and I find myself, um, cause I, I teach health care professionals, students that are going to be healthcare professionals. Um, and so a lot of what we have to talk about from a social justice perspective is, um, the lack of justice that we have for, um, for people that, or of color, really, just, you know, even his, the Hispanic population, et cetera, that we don't have the same access to healthcare a lot of times. And um, even just the um, the environment that they live in and how that impacts their health and their choices and decisions that they make in their, their healthcare choices that, you know, they're not just, you know, wanting to be sick. Um, people generally want to be well, right, and healthy and have um, access to good doctors and um, get education. They like to be educated on what's going on with them and, and stuff like that. And um, to help them to not fall into that trap of being jaded as soon as they walk into um, into the hospital and unlearn all of the things that I just, you know, I'm trying to explain to them. Um, but as they move through their program sometimes and they get into their clinical areas, um, they start getting already jaded, right? Um, they see the things they say, yep, you know what? They're right. They just don't want to get well. They just don't want to get better. They just going to keep doing this. They won't take their medicine. They're choosing to not purchase their medications with that consideration that they might not be able to afford it, or they're choosing to purchase food or they might be taking care of someone else. Um, and so having to constantly walk into, um, a room and be, um, not only a black teacher, but the only black person in there. Mm-hmm. Um, very aware, I'm almost hyper aware that I am standing here representing. I'm representing, right? Um, right. And saying, right? And I'm, I'm defending. I'm standing up for an entire population of people. Um, and that's taxing. That is, yeah. that is a lot, you know, to have to, to carry that burden. Um, but I do, um, I do shut my door and go in my office sometimes and just have to, you know, de, I guess deescalate and kind of just like bring myself back down. Um, and then again, try to come from it, like, I'm trying to come from the perspective, like you said earlier, that they're just not aware. Um, and some of part of me feels like okay they are aware and maybe some of this is choice because it's more comfortable to not be aware um, um and that's scary right yeah. like that <laughs> and in those moments and hearing everything you just said and reflecting back on what i just shared with you so how do we start to practice love right like if we mm-hmm. are taking your approach of like trying to approach things from love um and then in the essence of what i'm trying to have these conversations with people during this podcast is looking at understanding spirituality as we understand it as a, the dissolution of the self, the interconnectedness to other people, that spirituality happens in a public arena, um, mm. this building of, of sort of sacred contact between people, um, our connection to a larger purpose, outer world, like how do we bring all of that into focus even when we are feeling taxed and exhausted by the work that we do. 
That's a good question. And um, I literally have this, this, um, this saying or this um, quote on my board in my office um, that says, anyone can slay a dragon, but try waking up and loving the world every mm. day. That's what takes a true hero. Um, and I read that and I go, like, it's generally, for me, it's waking up every day and choosing. I'm going to do this again. I, and Repeat I tell people. Because I Ever. Think hear it again. Repeat the quote. Anyone, anyone can slay a dragon. Anyone can slay a dragon. But try waking up every day and loving the world all over again. That's what takes a true hero. Yeah. Bah. Right? So yeah. it's it's a choice. It's a choice that we literally make. Um, I can choose to stay in my hole and forget about all of this, or I can choose to get out there and do it again the next day. And that's like, it's a choice that we're making. And another thing that I say too, is that each day that I try to, to quit, <laughs> cause I, I'm gonna be honest with you, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I ain't doing this no more. I'm tired. Right. I will, it's the, it, it, it will always come across either a DM, an email, a phone call, a text. Um, I'll run into somebody randomly in the street. Right. I remember you, you helped me. Um, I came to one of your yoga classes one time and I just felt so much better. Thank you so much. I've actually um, took your advice about that counselor and I started going to counseling. I've, whatever the case may be, I'm going back to school to be a teacher because I wanna be um, another black teacher because we don't have enough instructors. Um, just the thing, I'm like, okay, all right, okay, all right. I mean, literally almost every single day I get some kind of affirmation that I'm just, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that right there, if it wasn't for just even that, I wouldn't have the strength to keep up getting up every day and loving the world every day. Because there's some days that I get up and I'm like, I'm not doing this no more. <laughs> it's like, quite honestly. I hear that. And um, yeah, that, that's incredible. And I appreciate that you still get up every day to do this. And so how do you find that your, your mind, body, and spirit development uh, supports that, like supports you getting up every day? Like, what do you do for those three things? Well, I will say that um, initially before I, in, a, in the beginning of my yoga practice, um, I was um, working through recovering from um, restrictive um, anorexia. Basically, when I was stressed out, I would not eat. Um, and so that obviously is not what anybody, um, should be doing. It's not healthy for your body. Um, and it's not healthy mentally to think that you can control the world with food. Cause that's just not logical. Right. Um, and so as I've, I've moved forward with, um, learning how to have compassion for others, I've learned how to come have compassion and love for myself. Um, and have, I've been actually doing very well with recovery and, um, eating more. So, I find that I have more strength and I have a lot more um, energy and it's, it's just, it's cyclical almost like the more you give, the more you get back. Right. So I'm like giving all this yeah. love, getting it back. And I'm like, I have to do better. I have to do better even just for myself. Right. Like you, if you're not strong, if I'm not strong, how can I continue to keep giving this, this love out? And literally taking that seriously and doing better for myself, eating better, being more active, 
Um, the fact that I've been teaching the classes so often has actually made me more disciplined in my own practice because of course, right, you're giving, so you're getting it back. So you're giving it and it, it's just, it's cyclical. Um, so I find that it's, it's just one of those things that are, um, if I, I feel like if I keep giving and putting, giving, I will continue to receive if I'm open to receiving. Do you find uh, being vulnerable with sharing this story to be impactful to your development? Um, well, okay. So I just had a talk with somebody today and I was like, I hate being, <laughs> I think vulnerable in terms of the definition that I, that I have in my mind is like the crying and all. And I'm like, oh, I, I hate, I really do not like releasing tears. It's not my thing yet. I'm getting there. Um, but I do think that the more I'm able to, um, voice it and, and, uh, give, give a name to what I had been doing and then also to be able to say in the same breath that um, I re I'm recovering or I've recovered and I'm doing better and I can see the results of mind, body and spirit um, of how um, not only was the, the behaviors that I had before not beneficial, but that everything that I'm doing now is beneficial, um, is empowering. Because when you say it out loud, it makes it more real. More real. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing it in your head and saying it out loud um, and then sharing it with other people um, has made it almost like um, once you share something and you put it out into the to the universe, you put it out to the world. Right. They hear you. They see you. They know that this is something that you're working toward. It gives you a little bit more accountability. It's not that it's not that I feel like people are watching me or judging me. But I do feel a little bit more responsibility in the area of making sure that um, not only am I doing what's good for myself, but that I'm not leaving a bad example for anybody else either. So it's interesting to think about vulnerability being linked to accountability. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to spin on that idea for a little bit because I think it's an interesting one and um, you might find that I'll tag you in a post about it soon. Okay. <laughs> So um, what are some things that have happened for you when you think about your mind, body, spirit development, or even just your spiritual journey? Like what have been some, what has that looked like for you? Sounded like, felt like throughout the course of your life? Well, some of it's been, well, a lot of it has been hard. Um, first of all, when I um, first re realized that I was going on more of it. I thought I was on a physical journey in the beginning when I first started doing yoga and I was also um, still um, practicing native coping mechanisms and restricting and everything like that. Um, and I was like, I want to, I want to gain more weight. That's physical, right? Um, mm -hmm. I want to eat different. That's all of it was physical. I'm, I'm, doing yoga because I'm, I think it'll be, you know, a good exercise. All of it was so physical when I first started. Um, and then when I realized, and I spent more time with my mat, more time meditating, more time thinking, and gosh, people don't know how hard it is to sit with yourself, with your own thoughts. When you sit with yourself and your own thoughts and you really start working on the spiritual work, that is hard work. And I yeah. can see why people often walk away from it. Um, and say, you know what, that's just too much. It's too much work. I can see why people do that. 
Um, it's not the easiest thing to look at yourself from outside of yourself and, and say, these are things that you need to work on. This is where you can do better. This is where you're great. Sometimes even acknowledging that I did a good job on something is, is hard still. Um, and so have, even the um, making the list of priorities that I have for the day and finding that I didn't put myself on that list, that still happens. So all of this um, has been a, a, it's been a progress. And, a, and another thing that I've noticed too is that there is no destination, like an endpoint to, um, to healing. It's a constant thing. Um, I always thought, okay, I'm gonna go to counseling and then I'm gonna be better, right? And then it's like, actually, it's not how it works. Um, and so I remember sitting in the office with my counselor and I was crying and I was like, do you mean to tell me that I might always have to work like this? Because the thought of working that hard on your spiritual uh, for an indefinite amount of time seemed really exhausting and daunting to me. Like there was like something that I would never be able to um to continue. Um, but I will say this too, in the process of all of that, I learned how to build um, a team. So I've built a team, right? So I have, I have a counselor, I have a couple of um, healthcare providers that I talk with very candidly that understand where I'm coming from, that I'd have tendencies to fall back into bad coping mechanisms if I'm not supported. I've, I've taken them as my support team, my husband, my children, I've been open with them. They know, you know, that, I, I need support. And when I'm feeling extra stressed, I'm gonna have friends that are more like family. I have you. So it's like, <laughs> I have all of this and I built my team and then I had to learn how to coach my team. Right. So yeah. days when I'm feeling bad, because that's another thing. It's like, Oh, I have all these people that are supportive, but do you know how to make your team act, activate your team when you need your team activated? Right. So then I'm like, okay, I'll send out a text. Today's not a good day. Right. And they go into action. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They know that, okay, this one's, you know, like, okay, well, we're going out to eat today. And this one, what we need to talk about. And this one, we need to roll our mat out. And this one, you just need to cry. Come on, let's go talk. Um, they are so, um, it's, there's so much power in having a community. And I tell people all the time that we are not supposed to be alone. We were not put on this planet to be by ourselves. I wholeheartedly believe that get your team and then learn how to coach your team that's that's really what's been I'm probably the the most helpful in the whole spiritual journey thing because some some days I mean honestly um it is not easy work I mean do you uh, agree or no so I completely agree and as you're talking about this idea of you know having your team um so my conversation with Tim Conder, he talked about being, he sees himself as a communitarian person is what he said. I like and that he, word. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so he said, you know, this, when it, even when it comes down to community organizing, right? Like the organizing or the action or what we want to see as activists doesn't happen unless you have the community, unless you have people <laughs> who are the team who know how to be activated to go out there and do the work to to shift how we're thinking about social change, how we bring about justice. And I think that's the same thing for the individual person, right? That we have to be willing to 
build community, to build ourselves with a team that supports how we bring justice to ourselves. Um, because nothing happens outside of ourselves until it happens within ourselves. And so I wholeheartedly agree with you that having a community or even as you rephrased it as having a team um, and learning how to activate that team for yourself is important. Um, I don't think I've ever heard the phrasing activating your team. And so <laughs> like I, actually, I, I'm actually writing about that. Um, Cause one of these days um, I keep telling people I have a bestseller if I ever decide to actually publish it, but I, I actually have a whole section on how to coach your team, like build your team and how to coach your team. Because one of the things that people, well, I know as I was growing up, I was always told not to ask for help. Don't go over there begging, right? Like we don't feed, like the whole thing, the whole don't, you don't cry. You don't ask for help. We don't talk about what's going on in our house. That's, um, that stays in our house. Um, all of those things that we're, we're taught um, as children turn into really terrible coping me mechanism as adults. Because now I'm not going to talk to anybody. If I need help, I'm not going to ask for it. Um, and all of us, you have to unlearn all that stuff. But if you tell somebody, like, look, I have a trouble. I have trouble with asking for help. I'm telling you this because sometimes I might need help and I'm going to have trouble asking for it. Right? That person now is aware that you have the issue with asking for help. They'll be more in tune with looking and noticing. Mm, she looks like she needs some help. I'm going to go help and suggest, can I help you, right? But that's how you build your team. You have to make them aware of what's going on. And, um, and it's just, it's so important that we teach people that it's okay to um, create these communities for yourself. That's not selfish. That's like, that's, that's survival. It's necessary. You have to have a team of people around you. So, um... I, I love that I like of this idea of thinking about what it means to even ask for help or just going back to what you said about what you learned as a child because I learned the same things right like you don't cry mm -hmm. uh, you don't ask for help we keep things in house um, you know you start to build up this wall that keeps that sort of creates distance between you and other people and in that way I think that starts to begin to sever what the spiritual journey is intended to be for every person's life right like yeah going back to what you said that you're not meant to do this work alone. You're not to be in this world alone. Like you're here to connect with everyone else around you and to connect with nature and to be connected to, to this life. But I think there is something to understanding that we, we begin to sever that parts of that part of ourselves very, very early. Um, and in a lot of ways we forget, or we've been sort of, I guess, conditioned to forget mm -hmm interconnectedness of this life um yeah. and that we have ourselves back to it right like we've got to get back to this understanding of what it means to be connected and that healing happens through connection transformation happens through connection liberation happens through connection but if we sever it so early then how do we how do we even begin to consider picking it back up or even recognizing that that's what that's what this this life is intended to be yeah. And it's like, um, you have to almost work on when you're doing your social justice work, you have to work on one, one more than one generation at a time. 
Like mm-hmm. you can't just go in and help the, the kids without helping their parents. Right. And, and so on and so forth. Like you have to be able to draw them all in. My ideal situation would be at some point to not only um, teach a yoga class with the, with the young people I'm with now, but if like one day their parents could come, that would be amazing or whatever person that's important to them, an adult that's important to them in their life, if they could experience that togetherness with them, um, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Um, it just, and it's not, and I tell people all the time, because they're like, oh, it's yoga. We're like, you know what? It's yoga, but it's really not about the yoga. If you really, it's all about the connectedness and the spiritual oneness and the connection even personally just you on your mat with your mind your body and your spirit right it's it's all of that stuff I mean that can come to you in so many other ways hiking running um, whatever it is that's for you that does that for you yoga just happens to be one of those things and I just um, you know I'm hoping that through all of our work and stuff that we're doing that people realize that it's much more than that you know we have yoga in the name of our, our business and the you know, like oh you're that yoga lady but it's like yeah there's so much more to us than you know than um than that you know you don't want to get like pigeonholed into back to what you were kind of saying before about you know the aesthetic like what does it look like you know from the outside you know you know mm-hmm. all you're scrolling all day long and all you see is is white people doing yoga and then we've created these spaces that essentially are all black you know what does that look like but at the end of the day, um, if we took all that away and we all closed our eyes, right? Like we do when we're doing our breath work and everything, and when you have everybody inhale and exhale and you hear everybody's breath in the room, it doesn't matter. It has, it doesn't matter what color anyone is in there, you know? Like we're all connected, whether we wanna be connected or not, we are. So just getting that that message across to people. Um, But like I said, I think, you know, it's gonna take I don't know. I wish we had, we had. I wish we had some. We like some kind of crazy timeline where we could look and say right around here. Yeah, right. <laughs> it would be like so good to know. But I think we've made progress. I think we've made progress too. And to be quite honest, like you have been inspiring me with the work that I do. Um, you know, for over the last three or four years now. And, uh, likewise. Um, and I and I. <laughs> that you and I have this connection that we found each other oddly enough through Instagram and then started to build a community with each other and I think that's it's been pretty amazing to see what what has happened on your end with the Yoga Noir project and um, things that are growing yes I love watching your work I, I think in and the more that um, these things sprout up because I think because of you because of me because of other um um, particular black yoga instructors, yeah. we're 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 kind of we're kind of bringing along more. Um, there's more that are you know, and I've had yoga instructors to say that you know I'm doing this work because of because of the work that I see that's being done, um, in the community already, or because of you know you. And I'm like, that's great, you know. We're we're leading by example. We're modeling what it's supposed to look like, and I think that's probably the most important part of social justice work is being the actual change, you know, that we're looking for. So, yeah. And that we can have these conversations in two ways where we recognize like, you know, 
things around race and sexuality and religion and class and family structure and all those things matter, right? And so how do we have critical conversations about those? But at the same time, how do we begin to unlearn and unpack the ways in which we have attached to notions that have kept us from being connected to other people? Um, Exactly. Yeah, it's, um, and and that is where I start to find a bit of tension for myself and and that's becoming... (laughs) because people hear it as like well you're you're espousing colorblind rhetoric and it's like no 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 like as a black woman I get it right like race matters things my gender matters these things matter I can have these conversations in a critical way but I also don't want to get sort of lost in the sauce of of sort of trying to use that to excuse away why I don't connect with other people Um, exactly because we're obviously not trying to create and I think you might remember kind of earlier in my work where I was kind of going back and forth with that right and I was like how is what I'm doing any different than what I'm seeing already right if we have classes that are all black how is that any different than us looking at these classes that are all white and what does that portray to other people what does that look like and it's you know I got I got met with so much hostility from other black people that are like we need and I'm like I realize we need these spaces it's, it's not that we don't need them but we do have to still take into because it's very it's a nuanced thing it's not you know it's not as concrete as as what they would like it to be it's it's are we creating the thing that we were already trying to dismantle Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and, and I, I remember like the, the texts and the, um, and all of the comments and under that post, I was like, wait, you know, you don't understand, like, obviously, this is important. And that this work is important. And I really want to continue to make, create these spaces where people feel comfortable. But also, I want you to realize that this is the intention was never to exclude anyone. And quite the opposite, I would like for every, for this, for, for yoga as a, as a whole, as a, as a wellness resource to be more inclusive. And that's why we created the space that we created. Um, and, but then I realized too, that we can't be responsible for other people's perceptions. So people are going to see what they see and they're going to get out of things what they need. Um, and so I've been trying to be better about meeting people where they are as far as that's concerned um if if that makes any sense it does it does um and that said I think maybe we need to just like create some sort of local conference that happens here in Louisiana amongst yoga instructors where we start to have this conversation in a more palatable way um (laughs) rather than doing it on, and granted, we are doing these things in workshops and other places, but, um, you know, I don't think everyone is quite as ready for the conversation as we would like them to be. <laughs> Agreed. So, so I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to give you a couple of words, and I'm curious how you define them and what they mean to you. Okay. Um, so what does the word transformation mean to you? Oh, wow. Whew. Uh, transformation for me means not necessarily the complete change from one thing to another, but more of um, it's an, a constant evolving. 
and being open to knowing that what I am today might not be what I am tomorrow. And what I am today is not what I was yesterday and that it's all okay. What does liberation mean to you? Freedom. Freedom. What is Freedom to um, not have the burden of um, negative thoughts and um, freedom from having, um, from not having that, the burden of wondering what other people are thinking about me. Um, being able to walk into spaces and feel comfortable um, 100% of the time without wondering um, how they're looking at me, how I'm being perceived. Um, am I angry when I'm just trying to um, help or uh, defend a, pe- a group of people that are not able to speak for themselves? Liberation for me would, would look like freedom to just be myself without having that conscious yeah, uh, you say that, and the first thing I thought was um, Bell Hooks writes in her um, Ain't I a Woman book that it's mm. necessary to remember that it is first the potential oppressor within that we must resist, the potential victim within that we must rec- rescue. Otherwise, we can't hope for an end to domination or to have liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, said that that's what it made me think of like we have to be willing to when you said free ourselves of the negative thoughts right like and those things that keep us sort of feeling victim that we Mm -hmm. have to release ourselves of those how do you define healing or what is healing to you (laughs) healing is um I guess part of that transformation healing for me would be um again knowing that it's an ongoing process that I'm continuing to progress and do better all of the time, that um, there is no destination that I'm looking for so that I don't feel like there's some finish line I'm trying to rush to. That is always going to be something that I'm working on, that there might be always something to heal from. And, um, and then that's okay. And that's part of our growing. And um, so healing for me is a constant evolution and not something that I have to rush towards. Well, Nikki, this has been so good that we've had a chance to talk today. And um, I think there'll need to be a podcast episode number two with you. Oh, yeah. There are so many <laughs> things that as we were we were talking and I was writing and I was like, oh, we're going to have to come back to this at another time um, because then the <laughs> just exceed like three hours. Um, <laughs> and so I'm hoping that we will be able to do that in the coming weeks. Um, if people want to get in contact with you and maybe connect with, with the Yoga Noir Project or even what you're doing through Nikki Scott Inc. with your um, holistic wellness and, and advocacy work with mental health, how can people find you? Oh, you can find me um, if you have social media. I am on Instagram and Facebook as Nikki, N-I-K-K-Y, Scott Inc. I-N-C. Um, and I am also on social media on both of those platforms as Yoga Noir Project. Um, so I'm easy to find. And if you don't have social media, I have NikkiScottInc.com. For those of you that just want to Google and uh, find me on the internet, I'm findable. I'm pretty uh, easy to find. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Nikki, for talking with me. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. All right. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of 824. If you wish to listen to this episode again or other episodes, you may find 824 listed on Anchor or Spotify. Your listener support truly matters. And if you are interested in providing your support through a donation to help in the creation of engaging content or to sustaining the activities of this podcast, you may make a donation through Anchor. Also, if you are interested in providing feedback to this podcast, you may do so by contacting me at Yoga for Social Justice on either Facebook or Instagram. Until next time.